Hey, what's up? My name's Alex and welcome to my podcast, Alex Listens. This is the place where I talk about uh, philosophy and um, identity and psychology and politics. And um, yeah, I think I'm probably too ambitious with the breadth of topics that I talk about. But I don't know. It seems to be <laughs> seems to be working so far. At least I think it's working. Um, yeah. So if you're new to the podcast, hey, um, nice to meet you. I'm Alex. I'm 23. I recently moved back to Melbourne from London. Um and I guess in the interest of time, that's probably all I'll tell you. Um, but if you want to learn more about me, uh, I have a website, Alex, A-L-E-K-S dot co, C-O. Um, and on there, yeah, there's like a bio. I've written a bio about who I am. Um, I've also, uh, there are more podcast episodes Um like there are links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So there are lots of different things that I've spoken about and lots of different people, different kinds of people who I've spoken to. Um, so if podcasts are your thing, um, maybe you're listening, just listening to this because this will be available in just audio form, then, hey, that's cool. But if you want to see my face, um, because I think like the next step of communication is actually like being able to be like especially during a pandemic where you know you have to keep your distance from others i think it's really important to to as profoundly as possible connect with others so yeah this will be on youtube um and maybe you're watching this on youtube in the, yeah um in the instance that you are <laughs> you want to whoa you want to subscribe to my channel um that would be that would be pretty cool um i just like chin chinned the microphone um yeah so um today i oh well one thing um i don't have ads on the podcast um and that means that i rely on your support um if you like the podcast if you want to keep it if you want to support it and um help me keep it going uh i have patreon i have a patreon page and a paypal page um and wow patreon paypal page Look at that alliteration. Um, yeah, you can you can find a link on my website or I'll put one in the bio on YouTube or on the podcast bio. Um, so yeah, uh, it would be nice to have your support. Um, otherwise, just get in contact with me on follow my page on Instagram uh, or subscribe on YouTube or whatever. Um, cool. Okay, so this is part two of a two-part series. So the final part. Um yeah, and the initial part, the part one was on an essay by Bertrand Russell in praise of idleness, um, and this this is a beautiful essay, and it's beautiful for many reasons. Um, it's beautiful because it kind of, I guess, <laughs> if you want to learn about the essay, you should watch the first part. But I need to because I'm going to be. This second part is um, kind of a discussion of the relevance of this essay today, and especially in light of in light of the pandemic. And I don't, I guess, I haven't. It, it hasn't been an intentional decision that the pandemic has kind of totally encapsulated the focus of my podcast, or more recently. But I just think that it has put pretty much everything that I've been thinking about into perspective um, 
And so that's why I'm kind of using it as a reference point to analyze other things. So I guess for the second part, I'm going to explore some things that are quite difficult for me to uh, to think about and to know that things that are difficult for me to know that are true in the world that I live in, which is an incredibly privileged world in inner city Melbourne um, with access to one of the best universities in the world and um, some of the best hospitals in the world and, you know, some of the richest people in the world. Um, yeah. And so I guess this second part is going to be about uh, the the underlying discussion of classism in Bertrand Russell's essay in praise of idleness um, or kind of the neglect of class of like explicitly talking about class. Um, he does talk about class, but this essay is quite old. It was written in 1935 um, and yeah, I guess it's he's a visionary figure. Um, he predicts so much about what the world is going to look like a hundred years later or 90, uh, 85 years later. Um, and so the, the essay is incredible in that respect, but also because he identifies kind of the baseline structure of capitalism, which is still present today, which is something along the lines of working class, I don't know, lower class, middle class, upper class. And what is different between all of those classes is access to privilege and, um, yeah, I guess access to privilege. Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about classism in 2020 and the things that I've learned myself and from reading this essay and from thinking about and from talking to people, the things that I've learned about the world that I live in, as in Melbourne and London, those are the two worlds that I've lived in in the past um, 12 months. Um, okay, so there are a few, as usual, I have my uh, trusty resource where I write my notes. Um, so yeah, one thing I think... This essay is called In Praise of Idleness. And I think one thing that I uh, maybe didn't do as clearly as I should have in the previous, in the first part, part one, is define what idleness actually is. Um, and what's frustrating is I don't think Bertrand Russell actually provides us with a definition in his essay. Um, but I guess he's suggesting that idleness is essentially um, a stillness that you are able to acknowledge as a stillness in such a way and you're able to engage with that stillness in a way that isn't affected by your your commitments outside of the house or outside of wherever you are being still so i guess the main thing that the main thing that this essay suggests affects our ability to be still is work um, our jobs, our our responsibilities in the workplace, whatever. Um, and I guess the claim that Bertrand Russell makes is that lower, I guess, working class people, um, people who receive orders to do kind of laborious, uh, repetitive, um, extremely challenging, physically challenging and mentally challenging work, um, those people are likely to be so exhausted that they are either likely to be so exhausted that if they have idle time, 
if they have time to engage with the things which they believe they enjoy, that time is going to be, well, they're going to, they're going to passively engage with their hobbies rather than actively engage. And so one thing that I spoke about in the last part, in the first part was, um, the, you know, think about how many people, you know, come home from work and just kind of collapse onto the couch and watch Netflix for a few hours. Um, yeah. And like, I'm, I'm sure all of us have been guilty of this act at some stage. Um, we've been so tired by our commitments outside of our idle time that it's very difficult for us to engage with our idle time. Um, so yeah, I guess just to reiterate idleness, at least my interpretation of what this essay was arguing, idleness is the still time that you have independent of kind of, you know, commitments to structures that give you money like work. Um, and I guess whatever you do with that time is up to you. Some people read, I don't know, some people write, some people exercise, but the importance is that I guess the important thing is to be able to actively engage with that and also to have a lot of time to pursue these things because think about like a lot, I guess this is a kind of silly example, but I guess it makes the, the point quite well. Um, think about all of the uh, important figures in history and artists, musicians, uh, politicians, activists. Um, I guess for some of them, having their idle time reduced or taken away was extremely empowering. Um, but may- maybe, maybe if, if people had, if people were able to actively engage with their idle time and if their idle time was quite long, maybe there would be a lot more fruit produced, a lot more for us to enjoy as a species, a lot more art, um, a lot more relevant art, um, And, you know, maybe art wouldn't be isolated to upper middle class, upper class people because, yeah, that's that's the reality of the art world. Um, It's very difficult to it's very difficult to find the time to make art if your next meal is a question mark. Um, And, yeah, that's what I that's what I want to talk about today. Um, The so one thing that myself and many people around me are experiencing at the moment is a, uh, I guess a mandatory, deta- a mandatory detachment from all of the things that are familiar to and for us. Um, so university employment friend, like as in seeing friends face to face dating, whatever. Um, and as an introvert, uh, this hasn't been a radical lifestyle change for me. Um, and that's, I'm not bragging or anything. Um, but for some people, uh, for some of my friends, it's been a really drastic lifestyle change. Um, for people who were used to regularly seeing people, regularly leaving the house, whatever. Um, but what this has meant for many people, including myself, who are fortunate enough to... Uh, so I live in my family home when I came back from London and have come straight to the family home. And there is a family home for me to go to where there is food and the bills are paid for and there's fresh water and there is outdoor space and yeah, there are all of these things that are allowing me to be still. And this isn't universal. 
Um, and that's, that's a real problem because on social media at the moment, there is, I, I have Instagram and unfortunately I use it, uh, probably too much, but on, on Instagram, um, it looks like a lot of people, including myself are trying to share instances and examples of them being productive. Um, and it's great that people are being productive and seemingly doing really like meaningful things like making music, drawing, reading, exercising, um, doing things that, you know, they believe are contributing to their well-being. Um, and there are, there are a lot of kind of insidious undertones attached to share to the sharing of these things. Um, like I guess, yeah, there are people who, there are people who, um, there are people for whom exercise is attached to a history of mental illness. Um, there are people for, in my life, there are people like that. Um, there are people for whom, uh, being creative has been a real struggle. Um, and I guess my suggestion here is that, um, it's very, it's hard to, so I think most of my listeners, um, most of my listeners and most of my, I guess the world I grew up in is a very privileged world. I grew up in inner city, Melbourne, close to the university of Melbourne. And that meant that a lot of the families, a lot of the people I went to high school with and primary school with came from affluent families. Um, I didn't, um, compared, compared to them. Um, and being, going to kindergarten and primary school and high school with these people has normalized kind of the financial safety net of wealthy families for me. So like, I guess when I was 20 or 21 and kind of left law school and which was an even more privileged world. Yeah. And so there are these wild, wild, there are these families with unimaginable funds. And I guess the implication of that is that these, that the children growing up in these families can afford to be still because really, unless they are like, unless they are extremely stubborn and driven to be totally financially isolated from their families, um, they're always going to have a safety net to fall back on. Um, and really out of, out of like, I don't know anyone who, I don't know anyone who has distanced themselves from their family so much so that if worse came to worst, they wouldn't call on their family for help. Um, yeah. And like, I don't, I don't even know if like ethically, I'm not sure because, okay. So this is where things get weird. So because there are so many questions, there are so many follow on follow up questions from being in that position. So one thing is being aware of the privilege that you have. And I would say that in 2020 in leftist circles in kind of the more progressive areas of cities around the world, people are kind of aware of their privilege. 
um, either as a white man or as a man or as someone who comes from a family which is wealthy or as someone who's white or as um, yeah someone who went to a uh, who went to a private school in Australia private schools are the schools that you have to pay to 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 go to your parents have to pay admission um, admission fees and then you know there's more like uh, you know who's your family like um, what what kind of what area were you raised in um which city were you raised in uh yeah i guess like progressive circles in melbourne would be different to progressive circles in um you know less privileged well may, maybe there would just be less i yeah there, maybe there would be less money um because prog- <laughs> the area the area, the progressive area in Melbourne is one of the most expensive areas in the world. The house prices in, in the house prices prices in the inner north of Melbourne are just astronomically high. And so although yeah, people are woke, people are like people have reasonable sounding politics. Like they have this including myself, like I I guess maybe my situation is different from people who have moved here like because I was I was raised here my my mum my mum's family moved to this area from Macedonia in the 60s when it was very cheap Um, and the prices yeah I imagine that like it's multiplied by 15 times since the 60s Um, yeah and it's very interesting there's like this migration of people from private schools in like the east of Melbourne to the inner north. And while I am, while the, uh, many of them are my friends and many of them, hopefully many of them listen to the podcast, um, it like gentrification is very strange. Um, and I just like this, it's very hard for me to understand what I'm actually trying to say in this episode. Maybe more than, maybe I'm less clear with what the objective of this episode actually is. Um, and something, yeah, something that I aim to do in the podcast is encourage people to think about things. And I think this is one of those cases, maybe more clearly than any of the others. So I guess my my under, my ultimate, ultimately, my claim is that people who, so I think it's really important that people are aware of their position in society or the position that they have been born into. Um, what color is their skin? Um, uh, where did they grow up? Um, uh, yeah. What is their, um, what is their, you know, uh, yeah, just like some identity politics stuff. I think it's, it's important for people to be able to explore that Extreme, extremely important for people to be able to explore that and to talk about it and to be accepted. But then, and I feel like, I feel like the left has done a really good job at making people feel safe for talking about, um, being a person of color and the implications that that has being mixed race and the implications that that has, uh, being queer and the implications that that has being trans uh, and the implications that that has and all of these different things. But I feel like one thing that has still been neglected is the financial background, people's financial background. Like, and maybe it's just an Anglo thing because I feel like 
it's so I, I i've been told and i remember in primary school being told you should never ask people what they earn think about how uncomfortable people get about money like even i had that experience i was so troubled when i decided to make this podcast available as something that people could become subscribers to on patreon that like that like ra- that really racked my racked and rocked my foundations like I, I was questioning everything. I was like, am I selling out? Am I, does this mean that I have a duty to people that I didn't have before? Does this mean that I'm going to have to take the podcast in a completely different direction now that there's money attached to it? Um, and that was like, yeah, that, that was, that was me. That was like, I don't know. That was just a like kind of lifestyle decision that I had made. And that I was able to make because of, you know, various things. Like I, I have a podcast, whatever. I was able to afford recording equipment thanks to my, um, thanks to my Patreon, my patrons. Um, but yeah, like how, if you have, if you have wealthy parents, if you come from a wealthy pa- family, if you have been privately educated at 20,000, 30,000 Australian dollars a year, um, what does it mean for you to say now that you are financially independent? Um, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that um, you are foregoing or letting go of any contact you have to the safety net of your family? Does that mean that you are forgetting and silencing the, the amazing and, and unfathomable privilege that you've had? Um, and it might, it might sound unreasonable that I'm calling these things, these privileges amazing and unfathomable, but what has, what has become clear again in this pandemic has been that we, people who have the time to listen to a podcast are the minority, um, at least, at least that's what, that's, that's how it feels to me. Um, and yeah, people who have, people who have the time to sit down and reflect and be idle and be still, those people, those people have an amazing privilege, which should be afforded to everyone. Um, because I think otherwise we're just like, we're just limiting human potential um, the potential for freedom, the potential to flourish when, yeah, when, when the, like this, this goes without saying when the next question mark, when the next meal is a question mark, there are so, there's so much weight put on your duty to securing an income or securing some kind of necessities for surviving. And that elides and, and subtracts and takes away your freedom to be idle. And yeah, I, I think I've just become, I felt, and like the, the next, or oh, another thing that is, that is quite strange that I, maybe not strange is the wrong word, but another thing that I'm not really sure how to really deal with. Um, and I guess there are a few people who I was hoping to talk to about this, but it's difficult because of the virus. And, you know, I can't really interview people at the moment. Um, but one thing that, one thing that's very challenging is acknowledging 
the footprint of your the history of your people and your family and then translating that into behavior um so yeah i guess uh um something that i turn to like to something that i turn to often in this podcast is the example of me being racially profiled in france for saying that i was algerian and being told like ah like are you a drug dealer or something um and like so there's a there's a french person and then there's me who's half algerian and like i was i was obviously i was young i was 16 when that happened um but or younger maybe 15 um but like what happens when someone when someone comes from a colonial power or from a financial power a background of financial power um it, it it's one thing to say i'm aware of it but it's I just, I really, I don't know what that, I don't even know what that does. And I really don't think it does that much. Um, And so that person who said that to me, like, I guess, you know, I've seen similar things in the behavior of others as I've grown older. And I've had conversations with people who have said things to me that have made me feel as though like, um, yeah, like there, like there's just no acknowledgement of historical privilege. Um, but like acknowledgement of historical privilege and a familial privilege only goes so far um, because saying, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of, I'm aware that both my parents are doctors. I'm aware that both my parents are lawyers. I'm aware that my, my primary and secondary school education costs $200,000. I'm aware of these things. I don't think, I think that's, like relatively hollow um and i think it it must be followed up with some kind of action and this is where this is where i kind of end because i am yet to develop a framework for thinking about what people ought to do next um and i think that in future episodes i'm going to talk about what people should do with their privilege um one thing, uh, again, to turn to one of my, um, one of the most informative people in my life, uh, Peter Singer, um, the Australian ethicist, uh, he, one thing that he believes in, or one thing that he has been associated with is the effective altruism movement, which is, um, you know, you should, you should donate. So it's, I guess it, it is underscored by the belief that, um, suffering is bad and flourishing pleasure is good or like satisfaction freedom is good um and so with the privilege that you have you ought to minimize suffering to the extent that it won't impinge on the freedoms that you can reasonably want to have um and there's a lot to unpack there so maybe i'll maybe i'll kind of just flag that as something that i'm going to talk about in the future um but yeah like I guess, yeah, one, one thing that's become increasingly clear to me is that being able to stay indoors and feel like you can do meaningful things with your time requires, it just, it requires, it requires, it requires support, um, money in the form of money. Um, 
because yeah like if you're a, yeah as I, I just if your next meal is a question mark if your next electricity bill is a question mark um if you can't pay for internet if you don't have a smartphone um like yeah the th- just think about think about what it would be like for us and i don't say us in a way that i want to create a, an us them group but really yeah i guess most of the people who listen to this podcast are people atta- like attached to me like directly or attached to friends of mine and then there are some people who i don't know at all um and one thing that i've <laughs> encouraged people to do is contact me so i can kind of get an understanding of the community around this podcast um if i'm allowed to call it that but yeah i guess i i imagine that the majority of people listening to this podcast have all of these things in place and take them for granted bills food internet um yeah so yeah i guess the question that we need to ask all of ourselves that all of us need to ask ourselves is what next um yeah cool thanks i hope you enjoyed it um yeah as always uh if you want more podcasts um by me or you want to read some of my writing i've got a few essays um visit my website www.alex.co otherwise yeah subscribe on youtube send this to a few friends um comment send me an email message me on instagram support me on patreon there's a hundred commands Till next time. Bye. Spend my whole day okay Kinda like I travel down a one way There's no way to start feeling okay It's not great, it's more like I'm great all day Whether I like it or not I'm not complaining, I'm just saying that I'm old Okay with being broken, telling my folks like I got no pay And that's probably cause I spent it all on mold Way but I didn't, I just told you that I did Because I thought that it was okay to lie Like why should I care if I'm not what you like I'm more and mortified, yeah The more I say I'm okay The more I feel you feel okay, okay Yeah, you don't understand